Next Sunday, Harvest, new series. Hope that you'll be able to make it. Uh, invite folks because it's a, it's about this. Sometimes we make decisions and we don't like the outcome. Anybody ever done that before? I know, maybe I'm the only one, but make decisions and then the outcome is not what we wanted. Well, this is all about the idea that the decisions you make produce the outcome, right? That the decisions you make today produce the future you experience. And so I'm pretty pumped about this series. It starts next Sunday. So I encourage you to make plans to be here. We're going to be in um, Matthew and Revelation and a couple other places this morning. If you want to go ahead and turn, I'm Pastor Tony. Excited that you are here uh, with us. I will say this just to get this to you so you don't miss it. This Wednesday, everybody say this Wednesday. This Wednesday's first Wednesday. When's first Wednesday? What's this Wednesday? Okay, so now you know. If you don't understand it, just ask somebody around you to help explain it. But, but first Wednesday is what, what we do here is we have worship. And uh, this coming first Wednesday, this, we're going to be praying over, you should have received a card with, mission, with missions on it, missions that we support. We're praying over them. And, uh, and then communion and, and maybe, maybe something from the Word. God may lead in a certain direction. We're really open on Wednesday nights to do, to do this. And so uh, we're open on Sundays as well, but I'm just saying. It's a great time. And so I encourage you to be here. Also, uh, i get my notes here, to be praying for uh, Emily Kate, who plays violin over here, does such an awesome job. Don't you think? Aren't you thankful for her? Yeah, let her know that sometimes. Go up and say, hey, thank you. Her, her grandmother has been in hospice, and her name is Judy. And Judy and Steve are part of the church here. And uh, just that family needs your prayers as she's at this stage in her life. And so so if you, when you're praying, pray for, uh, you can pray for Emily Kate's family. You can pray for for Judy's family and Judy, or you can pray for Skirsix. You may have a troubled spell on that, but uh, anyways, I encourage you to pray for them. I'm in this final Sunday of my church is kind of a big deal, and uh, it's been fun and, and, and exciting, and I hope you've got something from it. And I would say this, that, that once you understand that because it's his church, who does the church belong to? Jesus, oh no, this gets a tough one. Jesus is the right answer most of the time. And so it belongs to Jesus. Well, well because it, it is a big deal because it belongs to him. It's a big deal because of what he does with his church. And so we'll pick it up in Matthew 16, read a few verses. We've been reading this every Sunday. And uh, maybe you've got it now to where it's just kind of a, you've got it verbatim in your, you know, on the tablets of your mind or your heart. But uh, we're going to read it again and pull something from it this morning. And then on that one point, we're going to launch into something. And today's not... You know, sometimes I like to just stand up and do an expository message with three points and a poem, but today's not that day. You know, do the, the Aristotle approach where you have an introduction and three points and, and then and, and, um, a conclusion, but a little different. So hang with me. It's a little different. I'm going to read some passages, and we're going to do an illustration, and then we're going to just uh, minister to you. Matthew 16, so one point this morning, 16 through 18 or through 19. Simon Peter, he's been asked the question. Who, who, Jesus said, who do you say I am? And he answers and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven, who is in heaven. And I say also to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, 
And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, we could just read through that and, and miss some, uh, some important, um, important principles, important um, uh, ideas about the church. I want us to catch this one today. Now, here's what this is. They call it the law of first mention. This is the first time that Jesus, um, in, in, the, in the word of God, that we see him mention the church. The Greek word is ekklesia. The first time that we see him mention that. And so many times they say, watch when you see something mentioned the first time because it sets kind of a stage up for how that is going to be used throughout, throughout uh, Scripture. And even today, the way that's used. In fact, our word church is from a different Greek word that means Lord, the Lord's because it's the Lord's church. But, but, but Jesus is using that word here um, uh, that, that gives us church. And, and the part I want to just drill down on, he says this, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth, whatever you loose on earth. In fact, Jesus kind of takes the church global with first mention. Are you with me? That, that, that it's epic the way he presents the church. He's not saying, well, the church is just for a few guys over here in Israel, or the church is just for the Galileans that have been, been following me and just for this group that's here. And the church isn't just for a momentary thing. That the church that I'm building is what Jesus said. The church I'm building, well, that church, nothing's going to prevail against it. Nothing can stop it. Even the very seat of authority of hell couldn't stop the church from going forward. And by the way, he says, I want to let you know, it's built on this confession. Confession, this confession of faith that I am the Son of God. I'm building my church with people who make a confession that, that, that I am the Son of God and I've come to, to, to bring salvation to them and be Lord of their life. I'm building my, my church on that. And this is the power I'm giving them, it, not just a, a locale or, or a local place or not just for a, for a certain uh, segment of the world, but he takes it to this level. It's planetary. It's global that this church is going to go all over the world. That's good to know. You say, well, pastor, you know we're here today. We know that, the church all over. Well, in that moment, in that time, I'm pretty sure they had a pretty close vision of what it looked like. And Jesus just, just blew the lid off of it and said, you know what? It's, it's going to be global. And I want to talk today, and you can, you can jot this down if you're taking notes, our church in the world. Our church in the world. And I think it's important that, that we understand a little bit about the church. And I'll share this, that, you know, a study was done not too many years ago that prior, prior to COVID that said that the, the church in America that if you were walking by every church, if they were lined up in a line, you were walking by them, when you got to halfway, 50% were behind you and 50% in front of you, that, that you're, you're at 75. 75 median, median uh, size attendance is what they're measuring, attendance on Sunday morning, 75. And then you've got to go by 40 more percent. And when you get to 90%, 350. So, so the churches in America, the three to 400,000 churches in America, 90% of them are, are smaller than 350. Well, what does that mean? It means this. It means this, that when you have half that are smaller than 75 or go up to 100, 125, well, well um, the pastor's able to reach everybody, be with everybody at some level, not exactly, but, but I think some of the best pastors in America are in those small churches 
Go to a little town in the middle of Iowa somewhere, and you find a small town, and there's a pastor there who's carrying and shepherding and leading the flock. I love that picture. Anybody with me? And I, and I, I think that, that sometimes, well, let me give you post-COVID numbers. Post-COVID numbers. They say 60, only 60% is returned back. So, so now you're looking at somewhere between 45 and 200. That's a sad day in America that, that church attendance is where it's at. And I'm glad you're here. I'm not preaching to the choir. You made the right decision today to show up. And if you, if you want to get that, just if you just want to get somebody to hammer that into you so you, you, you know that you've made the right decision, go back and listen to like uh, week two, week one of this series. Uh, you can find it on, on Elevation Indy on YouTube, or you can find it on where you listen to podcasts and listen to the message. Uh, gathering is important. Scattering is important as well. well but, but, uh, but smaller and smaller has the church gotten in our nation? And I think what happens many times in those places is, I would say this about large church too, I could say about all churches, all churches when we gather, well, there is a, there is a certain amount of content being created. Now, if, if I allow this to happen, that the only thing that I'm doing is creating content, well, I've missed what God wants us to do. If all we're doing is content creating, if we're all we are is content creators, well, we're kind of missing because that's important. I worked. I've got notes here. I've got several. I've got stuff I won't even use today. I'm just saying this, that creating content, well, that's a part of what I do, content from the Word of God to, to give to you. I, I would view it more as I'm, I'm giving you a message that I feel like God's given me, but part of that is content. Sometimes we write blogs or we do whatever. You create content. Some of you write songs. We've got authors in our church. We've got people who... who, um, who um, do all kinds of content stuff. Praise God for that. But I think we're lost as a church if that's all we think we are. Because I believe this, that more than content creation, more than being a content creator, we are climate changers. That's a popular way to say it, isn't it? Climate changers. In other words, that we're not just here so we can have a bunch of content to share, and you walk away and now you know the first, you know, the five keys about how to develop a, a, a prosperous life. Well, that's good. Get those. You can get those anywhere, probably. I wouldn't trust anywhere, but you could. I'm just saying this. That's not what it's all about. It's about, and I, I shared this a little bit last week, being salt and light, that because we're here, the climate. The atmosphere that exists should change. How many know that the climate in our world is not always good? In fact, we're in a dark place right now, and the church doesn't need to get so consumed with creating content that we don't realize there needs to be light in the darkness, and God has called us to do that. That we shine light into the darkness, that we become the picture, the image of who Jesus is to the world. And so then I would say this, and I, I did the size thing. I think it helps us understand this, but, but sometimes, because the church has a front door and a back door. How many know that? We don't want to share where the back door is because we don't want you to ever leave. It's almost like Hotel California, right? You can check out, but you can never leave. I'm kidding about that. But here's what I do. Here's, I don't want you to go home and think, okay, we're just like Hotel California and try to memorize a song. That's not going to help you. I just want you to understand this this morning, that, that the front door is where people come in. And so many times in our church world, we make that door so small, so it's hard for people to get in. If you don't look like me, if you don't dress like me, if you don't think like me, if you're not just like me, I don't know if you belong here. You say, Pastor, I don't think it happens. I think it happens all over the world. 
all over American church. Where the church, the, the front door is so small that it's hard to get in. When I think the opposite ought to be true. I think the door should so be so wide that no matter who you are, you get to come. Are you with me? That there's nobody off lim- limits that, that, that God's uh, sent his son for the world. Jesus said it like this, that, that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten, the only begotten of the Father. The, the spotless, sinless Lamb of God came, left heaven to come to this earth not so a few people could get in, but that the door would be wide enough that anyone that desired to come in could come in. Now, if that sounds foreign to you, well, it is a little different because in our world sometimes we, we make the door so small. I've been around folks. I, 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 I grew up in a, in a, uh, a very um, a legalistic kind of, kind of place where, man, you had to, you had to measure up or, or, or you didn't hardly fit. It was hard to walk in the place sometimes. I remember my friend um, Steve told me when he he'd take he became the pastor of an existing church, and he became the pastor there. And um, I know it's going to sound strange to some of you, but just kind of hang with me for a minute. A very legalistic church, and um, one of the ladies said because it started growing, it was a hundred, and it got up to like six hundred really quick. And one of the ladies was standing out at the entryway after they they'd shaken hands and all that, and looked up at him and said, "Pastor, I think we ought to put a sign up there that says no pants allowed." Because in that particular group, they were very legalistic and thought women shouldn't wear pants. And so he said, yeah, that would probably be good. He said, but what are the men going to do? <laughs> I'm just saying this. Sometimes we make the door so small it's hard for people to get in when the door should so be so big that anybody could come and hear the gospel and understand who Jesus is. And when we limit that, we're not like Jesus. When we try to shut that down, we're not like him. And, um, yeah, I shared this in the first, so I'll go ahead and share it. So, so I remember I was, it was 1980, uh, 1998, 1999. I was, um, we planted a church, and I was a pastor. And we'd been someplace, and they did this song. And, um, you know, I was talking about music last week. It's not a song we would have ever did, but we heard him do it at this mission conference. And it was, it was a Doobie Brothers, Michael McDonald. If you ever heard him sing and play, man, he's just I mean, he should have been doing this instead of what he's doing. I'm just saying he's got this kind of ability and anointing on, on his life. And, and they, they did this song, and it says, you know, you don't know, if you, or, you don't know me, but I'm your brother. Anybody ever heard that part? Then, then it goes into this taking it to the streets. And somehow they, re, they did their own arrangement and, and, and wrote some new lyrics and made it all about taking the gospel to the streets. I'm like, man, that is like, that, is, that slaps. I mean, I'm just like. I didn't say that in 1998, but I'm just saying, like, it was, it was like it was cool beans, you know what I mean? I'm like, man, and I said to one of our guys, I said, we need to contact them and see if they'll just let us use that for the, because we'd get ready to do something. I said, this would just, it would work so well. And, and honestly, I'm not typically just jumping in on something like that, but so they contact them and get the right person and, uh, and said, hey, uh, we really love this song. It was so great. Blessed us. And we just wondered if you'd share your arrangement with us. I think we even offered to pay. I can't remember now. And the guy said, he said, you know, we're a large church, and we put a lot of time and effort in this kind of thing, and we, and we hate it when other churches come, smaller churches, and try to take our stuff. And so then the person asked me that at our church, said, how should I respond? I said, say, bless you and thank you. And I said, because there's a whole lot of wrong responses we could have to their wrong response. Are you with me? 
Because, track with me a minute, that the church of Jesus Christ, well, we should be generous to one another, and we should be in the kingdom together, right? It's bigger than any, any one church. And, you know, I think if we were a business and we went to the bank and we said, hey, we've got 1,200 locations around the city, and we'd like to borrow some money, and we don't talk to each other, we don't share any resources, we don't share best practices, but we'd like, they'd say, get out of here, that's a, that's a horrible business plan. That's off subject. Okay, let's get back to where we're going. So, so for us, I'm going to give you real quick uh, some of the things that we do to be the church in the world, and then I'll talk to us specifically about right here. And, and some of the ways is through missions. And that card you got, it lists out some of those. Several of them are from Elevation that are on foreign soil right now sharing the gospel. Some of them are from Elevation that are local here in uh, our community uh, that, are, that are taking the gospel to people. And we use these strategies. Here it is, real simple. Pray. We're going to do it Wednesday night. I gave you that card. So not so you could, you know, lay it in your car, ashtray, and forget about it, or, but that you could take it home or put, put it where you'll see it and pray over those folks. Call them out in prayer. They need your prayer. So pray. Secondly, give. Everybody say give. We, we say this. There's a, in fact, there's an envelope. It's got missions on it. You can go online. To, when you give online, there's a place to give to missions. Missions giving is over and above your regular giving. So for tithers, it's over and above that. Whatever percentage you set that you give over and above, it's sacrificial giving to give to see the gospel go to some place where you won't, you won't necessarily ever be. And so we say give. So pray, give. And then thirdly, go. It may be that God calls you to go someplace. It's happened right here. We have people in Switzerland. Uh, right now, we have people in um, North Africa. Uh, we have people in Romania that, that are right out of this body that got a call to go. We, we have um, uh, Travis over here with Mercy. Uh, you, you need to talk to him sometimes. Phenomenal, very unique and creative things they do to present the gospel to people. Uh, Becca here with Shepherd Community. I'm missing other folks. I know we have many uh, that that are involved in um, vocational ministry to take the gospel to people uh, in creative ways, and we're thankful for them. And so your giving helps uh, them to be able to do that. Every dollar that comes in for missions goes out to missions. And let me show you this. We give out more than we'll ever take in for missions. Um, some years it's been 25 to 30%. I think we're about 15% right now of our overall giving that goes outside of here. I'd love it if it was 50%. Anybody with me? Yeah. So, so and then opportunities, and opportunities are, are outreaches. You know, Wednesday nights, uh, we, we have a team that feeds homeless folks in downtown Indianapolis every Wednesday night. Uh, I talked about James 127. We go into nursing homes uh, every, every week and uh, share uh, a message, some music, and ministry with people that don't have anyone else maybe to, to see them. Um, we, uh, Pastor Juan back there, several times he's back there in the back row. He's the, he's the guy with the, it looks like he's 50 and he's not. You say, is he 40? Nope, you're going the wrong direction. Uh, but it takes groups downtown, and we'll do big, big outreaches where we give away shoes and clothing and food to people. Um, I, could, I could go on block party. Uh, not too long ago, block party is about helping people to just maybe get some hope, right? And so we, we do a lot of outreach. You can be a part of those. I also would say that, that another opportunity is social media. If, if you don't follow 
uh, Elevation Indy on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or YouTube. I encourage you to do that. And then, you know, make a post every once in a while. You say, Pastor, do you really think a post is going to do something for somebody? I don't know. It might. I hung a card in Panera on the little bulletin board there, and I've had three or four people come just seeing our little card on the bulletin board over there. I'm in there sometimes, so I just put a card there. It's nothing big, nothing fancy, just boom. I said, and sometimes I'll meet people. I said, how'd you come to Elevation? Well, I saw this card over in Panera. I said, oh, okay. I, I'm just saying this. Maybe, maybe you share something, you post it. You know, you don't have to go all John the Baptist, but it's social media. Maybe you can. You may feel bigger than you are normally. Just say, repent. Kingdom of God is at hand. See what happens. Uh, live stream. We stream our service every, every Sunday. Um, you can share that. You hear something, you know somebody, maybe they need to hear that, share it with them. Share it on your wall. I'm just saying this. It's simple. It's easy to do, but you could be an influencer to reach the world through something very simple. And then invite. Everybody say invite. I say it like it's invite and invest. There's somebody you need to make an investment in, and then one day you just you pull the trigger and make an invite. You, there's a card for harvest. Maybe it's that. It didn't have to be a card. Sometimes it's just you know someone, and they need Jesus. Most of all, they need Jesus. Maybe they got another problem, but, but they need Jesus, and you just simply say, won't you join me? Don't make it weird. Don't make it hard. Hey, won't you come to church with me? We're going to have, we're going to have, um, we're going to go to lunch after, afterwards, and we're going to make a, have a time to get together. Somebody will come with you with a simple invite. So then we had this law of kind of first mention happening with Jesus in Matthew 16. And then I want to jump ahead all the way to the book of Revelation chapter 7. Because then you kind of see the, I, I kind of think it's, I call it the final wrap up. When it says this, after these things, John says, I saw, uh, I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number, it's big, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Isn't that a, isn't that a beautiful picture? That now it's not just, right, in the beginning it was this small group of people who are following Jesus, and they're all kind of from that particular region of the world. And now, um, at least 2,000 years later, here you have this picture now, and it's every tribe, every tongue, every people group, every nation is represented, not just a few, not just some, but from every part of the world people are gathered, and they're worshiping God together as one. And what a beautiful harmony. Can you imagine the harmonies we're going to hear? I was telling the first service, my, my granddaughters, i got three of them. One is going to be two this week. Uh, the other one is um, four in a few months, and then the other one will be seven in November. Sophia, Lucia, and Olivia. And sometimes I'm in the car with them, and they're in the back all strapped and buckled in with helmets and bubble wrap on them and all that stuff, you know. And they'll be back there singing, sometimes singing a song, you know, like Reckless Love of God or something. And they're back there singing, and I'll hear them. Or Waymaker, they like that one. They're singing, you know, Waymaker. And I'll hear them, and they're harmonizing. And nobody's ever taught them to harmonize. They don't, I bet they don't even know that word. They've never had a voice lesson. They've not been instructed in, in what a soprano and a tenor and, a, and an alto is. They, they, don't know, they don't know the difference. But, but back there, I'll hear them. And I didn't know. Lucia and Sophia, they, they had it down. Like, they'd sing all the time. And here come Olivia. And now Olivia's kind of coming in there, her little squeaky voice, and she's just right, right there, all layered, sound, and beautiful. That's what a family can do. Family harmonies are some of the best harmonies. I'm just saying this, that here's the metaphor that God gives. We're a family. 
And even though, I talked a little bit about it last Sunday, even though maybe there's somebody you don't know and you meet them somewhere far away, we're a family, and one day we're going to stand there, and maybe you could never, you could never you know, get the note. Maybe people told you it would be better for you to worship silently instead of sing out loud. But on that day, we're all going to lift up our voices. It's going to be a beautiful harmony. Because that kind of harmony, it didn't come from any other organization or institution. The church has the corner on that. I'm not talking about music right now. I'm talking about the unity and diversity that we have. First Peter 2, verses 4 and 5, this is kind of in the middle, what God is doing. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men. Who's rejected? Jesus, right? But chosen by God and precious that we are with him in this. You also, you, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up uh, spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Isn't that powerful? That God's fitting us in and building this spiritual house so that one day all together with God's people we'll gather as his church. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 says this. Paul's correcting a problem that the Corinthian church has. He said, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He's like, you should know this. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And here's the hope, because you just got all negative. It sounds like, well, nobody's going, all these people... And he says this in verse 11, and such were some of you. It's almost like in his letter, he's pointing at them saying, and such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. That God says, you know what? This is who you were. This is the kind of people you were. But now, because of the grace of our God, because of the person of Jesus Christ, there's been a transformation, and now you've been cleansed and sanctified and washed, and heaven will be your home, and you'll sing the harmonies of the holy one day before God and his throne. And I would say for all of us, never get to the point in your Christian walk that you look down at someone that's not made the cross the line of faith to trust Jesus, and you look down at them in a condescending way and think, look at them and how bad they are. Because you know what? We were all there at one time. Thank God for his grace, right? If not, if, if, if not for the grace of God, where would we be? And so Jesus is, here's the truth from the last few weeks and from this morning as I read this passage, Jesus is building his church. Nothing can stop his church. Faith in Christ is the entry point. Not because you signed up for a church, not because your grandma and grandpa were Baptist or, or you're, you went to Catholic church. Or that, didn't make, that didn't make you a Christian. Not because, you know, somebody else is praying for you, but you haven't prayed yourself. No, faith in Christ is the entry point. The gospel includes everyone. The gospel, the good news is, is, is for everyone. Not for a select few, not for an elect few, I will say. It's for everyone. And there are no disqualifiers. No disqualifiers. You say, but, you know, what about this sin? Well, no, Jesus. You say, well, what about, you know, there's a one about blaspheming the Holy Spirit, Pastor. What about that one? I'm like, well, I don't think you'd be here today if you were there. You wouldn't even be thinking about it. I've had people come to me, well, I feel like maybe I blaspheme the Holy Spirit. I'm like, I don't think you'd even be concerned about it if you did it. There's a, there's a picture in Romans chapter 1 where people, uh, uh, they just fall into a, a reprobate 
um, uh, scenario where there's no turning back to God at all. And there's a place, can you get to a place where you've just said no to God and you've taken on everything that's anti-God in your life? Do you get to a place where you can't see through the darkness and get back to God? Yes. Right? There can be a point of no return. But I just say this, if you're worried about it, you're not there. You're not there. And I think the understanding that there's no disqualifiers is so important. Because what we like to do sometimes is we've been saved for long. They say after you've been saved 12 years, you have no outside friends that don't know Christ. That's, 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 that's the way it usually runs. And I, I would say this, that we can't be that number. We can't be that stat. Are you with me? We can't be that statistic. You need to, you need to be in the world and meet people that are of the world and help lead them to Jesus. Don't, don't just get isolated in this box. This isn't an ice box, by the way. We don't want cold and dead. We're not God's frozen chosen. We need to get out into the world, and you need to meet somebody that doesn't know Jesus and represent Jesus to them. It may be somebody that doesn't look like you, think like you, or at all like you that God would lead you to, and if you pray about it, he'll lead you to people that need Jesus. You say, well, I'm afraid I might become like him. Well, don't hang out with him yet then. But if you've been saved 12 years and you're still afraid, you need to dig into God's word and, and create a prayer life. Here's what Jesus does. Jesus challenges the status quo. And that's what's happening on, in his time. They, they've, they've made the door so small. I mean, these Pharisees, they don't want anybody in. I, and I just lump them all together. The Sadducees and the scribes and the teachers of the law, they just, they just really have made it so hard for anyone to have any kind of experience or relationship with God. They're, they're, they're almost closing the door while they themselves lead unrighteous lives. All you got to do, here's a study. Study what, how Jesus responds to the religious people the, the, of the day. And by the way, the Pharisees are the ones, when you look at modern Judaism, it's mainly Pharisaical. That's the ones that, that continue to exist. All the other ones are kind of fell by the wayside. And, and, uh, and I would say that in the church that the, the opportunity to be inclined to be Pharisaical is a, is, a, is a real threat that all of us could find ourselves in. Because after you've done it a while, well, the stench of sin just bothers you. Are you with me? That, 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 when, that when people just continue in that, well, we, we could get to the place where, where, where we feel like we're clean and they're unclean and we don't want to come in contact with them when Jesus did just the opposite. You realize the woman that touched the hem of his garment, she was unclean according to their standards. And, I, and I'm just going to be real honest with you that when she touched him, well, that could have changed a whole lot of things. But Jesus ministered to her and brought healing. He, he didn't get upset because of where she's at. I want to, I want to just dig into a few people that Jesus dealt with. Because uh, the Pharisees, well, they were con concerned with keeping people out. And Jesus was breaking that mold and challenging the status quo. Um, they, they, there was the whole... Uh, tax collectors and harlots. In fact, Jesus in Matthew 21, 31, uh, that verse, he's, he's kind of summing up a, a story that he's telling about two brothers, and he asked the question, which of the two did the will of his father? And they said to him, the first. And then he said to them, assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots, that's an old word, right, enter the kingdom of God before you. He's talking to some religious folks, and he says, hey, just so you understand, tax collectors are going to get in before you. And, and I mean, I don't know anyone here says, yeah, I love tax collectors in our modern world, but they really didn't like them then. 
because a tax collector was a Jewish person who went to work for the Roman government, and everything that they got over that what they had to give the Roman government was theirs, and so they lined their coffers and filled their pockets by cheating people and scamming people. And the Jewish people looked at them as like traitors and like, what are you doing? How do you do this to your own? And so they were despised, and people didn't, didn't care about them. They didn't want them in their company. They were looked down upon. And Jesus is saying, even these people that you have just segmented away from yourselves, they have an opportunity to be in my kingdom. I said the word harlots, it's an old word. I, I would say, some of your Bibles may say prostitutes, but I don't think that does enough. What, what he's saying here is, is that whether it's professional or unprofessional, promiscuity, guess what? There's hope for them, and, and the door's open for them to experience a new life. They're not excluded. They're not excluded. In fact, when, when Jesus is at Simon's house and, and uh, the lady that's washing his feet with her tears and drying them with her hair, um, Simon is thinking, well, if he knew what manner of woman this is, he wouldn't allow her to do that. And all the while, Jesus is just breaking the mold and saying, you know what? I'm going after people that nobody else is going after. I'm opening the door. I'm busting the door. I'm going to take the, the, the veil in the temple and it's going to be broken in two from top to bottom because I'm, I'm reaching out. For anyone and everyone, Luke 8, verse 11, woman caught in the act of adultery. Now, she's caught in the act. I think sometimes in our, our modern, uh, you know, preachers try to sanitize everything so it doesn't sound too bad, you know. Um, and sometimes that's good. You know, you don't go back to the little kids and tell them, hey, here's a story of Noah's Ark, and there's dead people laying everywhere, right? You don't give them that, the whole story, right? So, so in trying to sanitize this, I think we haven't presented it accurately. This woman's caught in the act of adultery. She probably is unclothed or has grabbed something maybe on her way out to, to, to try to cover up. It's embarrassment. It's not what she was doing was right. Well, that was wrong. And Jesus doesn't have any problem letting her know that was wrong. But Jesus, after, after he's dealt with the, the accusers and those that are condemning, he said, yeah, well, so, you know, where are your, your accusers? He said, there's no one, Lord. Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. The, 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 you could say the immoral person, right? The immorality, Jesus, Jesus is saying, hey, the door's open. The door's open. I'm not condemning you. I didn't come. Uh, John 3.17 says that, that Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but that through him the world might have life. So he's not, he's not here to condemn. Neither is he condoning. He says, right? Neither do I condemn you, but hey, don't, don't continue this lifestyle. Go and sin no more, right? So, so, so understand this, that the door's open. The door's open with Jesus uh, in Luke 15, 2. Uh, the sinner, is, he, they say this about Jesus, that uh, they, they complain about him, and they say, this man receives sinners and eats with them. They even tried to, King James says wine-bibber. What does that mean, that he, that he, that he was a drunk? Uh, that he, no, Jesus wasn't. Any of those things, he just wasn't afraid to go to the people that needed. He, he says it like this, that, that it's not the, the people that are well that need the physician, it's the people that are sick. In our world right now, there's a lot of sick people, sin-sick people, confused, disoriented, messed-up people that need to hear the gospel. They need Jesus. I mean, Jesus is on the cross, and he reaches out to the thief. It's like... He's been there all, he's been, he's been present with everyone. It's his final hour, and he's hanging on the cross. And Jesus is like, hey, just one more time. Anybody raise their hand that needs Jesus? 
and peace over me. I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing on all of this right here now. But he's over there, you know, he knew who Jesus, by what he says, he knew who Jesus was. At least he knew that Jesus was a holy man, someone that was teaching and, and, and that the Son of God had become the reference point and that he was here on the cross now. And this, and this man has this little dialogue with Jesus, and Jesus doesn't shut the door and say it's too late. Because sometimes we could think, well, the process is just taking too long. I mean, I love it. I shared Harold's story last week. If you weren't here, Harold shows up at church not because he wanted to, but because he wanted to please and do something right for his mother. Shows up there. No, I, no, no intention of changing his life. Well, I don't want to change my life. I'm just going to church because I need to. Ends up, because of what God does in that moment, ends up going out, gets his cigarettes, throws them away, goes home, pours out his alcohol, gets rid of his marijuana. Totally wholesale change. Are you with me? Like, not, not just a little bargain sale, man. He just wholesale change. And, and I want to tell you, that can happen for you. And I also know sometimes, man, we need time to process. We're walking through. Maybe, maybe we, we, we're struggling with, hey, do I? Because here's what happens. We're hanging on here, but we know we need to go there. And we kind of feel this tug of war thing. Anybody, when you came to Christ, was experiencing that? You were in pullback and maybe it took you a few times to, to, to show up. And, 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 and I would just say this, that the process for that guy on the cross, I don't know what it was because it seems like he knew who Jesus was. But in that moment, Jesus didn't shut the door. Jesus is the ark. We're still, we're still, if you picture Noah and his ark, the door was open, and while the door was open, anyone, check this out, anyone could have went into the ark, the ark of safety, and no one did except Noah and his family. And I would say this, that the door is open still, and Jesus is the ark. And in that moment, Jesus didn't shut it down and say, no, no, you're going to be with me in paradise. And the other thief could have experienced that as well, by the way. They're rejected. Jesus heals a blind man, a man that's born blind. This is who Jesus brought into the, into the kingdom. He's born blind. Jesus heals him. And then the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they just get all flustered about it. Kind of a weird thing to get upset about, isn't it? Somebody comes in here blind. We pray for him. He goes out and can see. I'm like, woo. That should be something everybody celebrates. Even if you're somebody, you say, I don't believe in Jesus heals today, and somebody gets their blind eyes open, you're like, yeah, that's good, though. <laughs> used to. I haven't done it in a while because people have private rooms more. But used to, I'd go see somebody in the hospital to pray with them, and I'd be there praying with them. And then there's somebody in a bed next to them. And you just, for me, this is me. And maybe I'm just the guy that does this, and maybe, it, maybe, maybe you think it's awkward for me to do it. I don't know. But I look over, and I see him laying there, and I say, hey, is there anything I can pray for you about, too? And I've never one time had anybody tell me no. I don't know what they thought. I don't know if there's a Jesus follower. I don't always know the situation. I said, but can, how can I pray for you? And they always said yes. My friend Kemp Holden, if you go out to eat with him, every time, every time I've been out to eat with him, and I've been a few times, every time, he says he does it every time, he asks the waiter or waitress, how can I pray for you today? He said, I've never had any, any waiter or waitress say no. Now, I know that's a big step. You're not ready for that maybe, but I'm just saying this. I, I, I'm really just saying this, that this guy gets healed, his blind eyes open, and the Pharisees have a problem with it. And then they cast him out. And in verse 35 of John chapter 9, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said to him, do you believe in the Son of God? In other words, I'm building my church, 
And although you were blind and you're not blind now, I just want to know, can I build my church with you? Where's your confession at? Do you believe that in the Son of God because I'm building my church? With the rejected, with the rejected, with the thief, with the sinner, with the immoral person, with the despised tax collectors and harlots, and even with children. Matthew 19, Jesus is there, and the children are trying to get to him, and his disciples, his very own disciples, those that are following, they like step in, they try to close the door. Like they, they try to put up the sign, no children allowed. And Jesus is like, wait, wait a minute. Permit the children to come to me, for such is the kingdom of God. Don't forbid them to, to come to me. Let them come to me. And I think that when we understand Jesus is opening the door wide. Everybody say wide. Wide. And the front door of the church should be wide. Should be wide. I think about how that um, folks on the live stream, I'll try to stay in view, but I don't know. They said I walked off last week and I came back, so. I'm planning on coming back if I'm not here right now. So, so yeah, there we go. Let's pull it over here. I wrote, I wrote notes so I remember what these chairs are going to stand for. Oh, that feels good. Time the second service is over sometimes. I've stood for like three hours, it feels like, so it's kind of good to sit down every once in a while. I thought, let's use some chairs so I can sit down today. Back of this has the word Muslim. I think understanding this that the, the door is so wide that a Muslim who is part of a terrorist group who hates Christians should be able to hear the gospel and experience the love of God. Are you with me? Yeah. I hear people say, I grew up, my, my grandfather was a World War II veteran, and, uh, and he, he'd throw the word around Japs because there, there was a sentiment, and even in our nation, where they, they created camps where they would place uh, Jap people, uh, Japanese um, uh, ethnicity um, in camps, and there was the idea that, well, these people are bad. Or maybe you remember, maybe you heard it lately, that people look at Russia. And they say, those Russians are bad and all this. And I'm like, eh, not really. They're probably people like us. They got bad leadership, right? I would say that today. They got bad leadership. Right? That's why 300,000 or whatever the men have left the country because they don't want to fight in a war that they don't, they don't believe is just and right. Bad leadership, not bad people. And so, so on a Sunday morning, the door should be wide enough that if a Muslim who's, who's seeking for truth shows up here, that they should be able to hear the gospel, and we shouldn't, we shouldn't think, well, how are they here? I remember one time, it's been 10, 12 years ago, there were some guys coming here for a while, uh, probably six months, and evidently they'd come to this, another service than this lady had, and, and one Sunday they were about ready to go back home uh, from where they were at. They, were, they, they thought they were Middle Eastern. Maybe you could, they were from India. But they thought, and this lady came to me after one of the service, they were taking pictures. And she said, after the service, and she said, Pastor, those Muslim guys over there, they're taking pictures. I'm afraid they're going to do something. I said, I'm not going to tell her name. She's not here anymore. I said, he says, just so you know, they're from India, and they're Christians, and they're so excited that they've been a part of this church, they want to take the pictures home and show it to their family at home. She said, oh. And then sometimes you think, this is pastoral confession, don't run out on me, but sometimes pastors think, why did sometimes people be, why are they stupid? <laughs> and, then I, and then because I love her, I said, but that's okay. I get you understood. I know you're trying to protect. But just so you know, that's, that's, we'll, we'll keep our eye out if somebody's going to try to do some, some terrorist activity. We'll make sure we're trying to do our best to make sure. I'm just saying that sometimes we make assumptions about stuff that we don't know. 
and we go to, we go to level five and level six on, on assumptions and speculation that we have no idea about. And what we can do is we can make that person feel as though, because I want to tell you, before you ever say it, people can feel it. We can make them feel as though they don't belong and they can't come here and, we don't, and we've got a closed door to them because of their difference. Let me see who else I got. Yeah, here we go. I got a store with every chair, but I can't tell them all. So I probably got multiple stories. So in the back of this one, it says the word illegal. And I put illegal in there because that's the way the person that wrote me the letter put it. It was, it was Labor Day weekend, about, again, about 10 years, 12 years ago. And uh, there had been a guy that had been coming for three or four weeks. And on that Sunday, our, our worship leader at the time, his name was Carlos. Carlos was from uh, uh, Brazil. Carlos, a good friend, he lives in a different area now, but, but Carlos didn't really have an accent, and he looked pretty white, just being honest with you. And so, so Carlos, um, he wasn't here. He couldn't be here. Sometimes people would say to me, can we do some more southern gospel music? I'm like, dude, the guy's from Brazil. It's about southern gospel as you can get. But he wasn't here, and so we had another guy uh, that, that led worship, and he was a Hispanic guy and uh, did a great job. And when he, would, when he would lead worship, he would say hallelujah instead of Hallelujah which is okay. It didn't bother me. I kind of knew what he's meaning. In fact, as I said that, you know, I said hallelujah, what he was meaning, don't you? Yeah. So the letter I got, that was a Monday, it was uh, a Sunday. On about Thursday week, I get a letter in the mail to the church, and it says, the first phrase says, I am not a bigot. And uh, if you got to tell me that, then you probably are. You know what I mean? If that's the way, that's the first word out of your mouth. He said, I don't appreciate being led in worship by an illegal Mexican. That's what he said. And I'm telling you, I, I, I'll be honest with you, I'm probably on the spectrum of, of feminine to masculine. I'm a little bit to the right of John Wayne. So I just got mad. And I had to really deal with, okay, what do I need to do here? Because I don't want to do something fleshly and, and just respond in a bad way, but, you know, it just made me want to, Kick something almost, you know? Well, here's the deal. This guy was an American citizen, and he was from Guatemala. And I'm just saying, if we're not careful, we'll let the door close because we go to all kinds of assumptions about the way we view people. Aren't you glad that when God looks at people, he sees his creation and all of its diversity, and he says, I love you, and I'll send my only son for you? i got to shorten my story. Okay, here's one. This is a long story, but I'll make it short. I, it wants, I put TG on the back, transgender. They told me on Easter that a woman or a man was in the women's restroom. It was after the service. I said, well, that's not right. Anybody with me? Women go to the women's restroom. Men go to the it's always, it's always been all my life. Like, I've never, ever intentionally went in a women's restroom. And, and I believe that, that women are never men and men are never women. It's been that way for thousands of years. And that's not a, that's not a hate-filled statement. That's just the truth. And so, so I said, well, maybe that's a fluke, and hopefully it didn't happen. And no woman's in there. They saw him coming out. And so then a few weeks go by, and then somebody says it happened again. And then I'm thinking, man, are we going to put a policeman outside the door or what? Are we going to get somebody big and put them there and just, like, stay out? I don't know. 
That's not, right, that doesn't sound very Christ-like. How's he going to handle this? So I figured out and had a meeting, and I said, hey, once you know God loves you, tell me your story. I'm telling you, I've never heard it such a complicated story. One that, one that made me feel, and I'm telling you, I've been doing this for 30-some years. One that made me feel, I feel like I've heard everything. And I can't hardly be surprised. But I'm telling you, just the pain and the hurt and the confusion. And so I said, so I said, we need to direct you to the men's restroom. Here's what we'll do. And we, we devised the plan. Because let me tell you something. The door's wide enough that if somebody comes in here and they're struggling with gender, they should be able to hear the gospel. Are you with me? Like we shouldn't be the church that puts on our website no transgenders allowed. Do you, I don't know if you realize this or not, but there's been a prophetic word given that 100,000 people are going to come out of the LGBTQ community and come to Christ over the next several years. I want to see that. You talk about revival. You talk about revival. And, and by the way, you know, our, our prepackaged, the way we see revival happen, and it probably is not going to look like what we think. And so, and so I'm just saying this, that, that I would say this, and this person didn't wear a dress, but if a man came in here and with a dress on and sat in a seat, some of you would be so bothered about that, but you're not bothered by the fact that that person can feel comfortable coming here and not experience the presence of God that would make them want to say yes to Jesus we get so consumed with condemning them that, 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 that we can't say, let me share the truth with you so you can see Jesus. You say, Pastor, is that didn't that feel uncomfortable to you? Yeah. I told a friend of mine a few weeks ago, I said, I'm dealing with stuff right now that when I got in the ministry a long time ago, I thought, I would have never even guessed that that could be something you'd even deal with. Are you with me? But the door's wide. And we're in a, we're in a time right now where the church has got to step up and show love. Because the church hasn't always gotten these things right. Let me, let me see real quick. Different races, personalities, backstories. Well, I can give you a lot of stories, but I think we're over that one, aren't we? Look at your neighbor and say, we're over that one. We love people. Okay, here we go. In the first service, I got some rough stares on this one. But somebody comes in and sits next to you with a MAGA hat on. Or, I don't, I don't know if they have them, I've seen those, or with a BLM hat. The door's wide enough that even those people have maybe polar opposites in their ideology that, that they should be able to come and hear the gospel. And, I, and I'm not saying that both of them are lost. I'm just saying this, that there's ideologies in our world that they may enter the church. We don't have to embrace the ideology. What we do have to do is we have to share the gospel and let them see the love of Jesus. And by the way, I'm all about getting a new hat that says M-A-C-A, make, make America Christian again. That's, that's maybe where the church should be. Then you get this little bitty green chair. Children. Children. I'm not going to set it in that one. Children. You say, Pastor, I don't think everybody wants children, don't they? Nobody's trying to keep them out. I've been in pastor pastoral meetings, and I'll hear, I'll hear somebody. I remember this, this particular we had these kids come into our church, and they, they're tearing up the place. They busted out a window. And, and I'm thinking, yeah, well, you can, you can fix that. You can fix the kids from doing that. I'm just saying. And then I wanted to go all Mother Teresa on them and say, just give me all the babies and all the kids, and we'll just take them all. Are you with me? The, the, the door's wide enough open that, that, that youth that are struggling with all kinds of junk and with children that, that maybe 
run the halls or do whatever. We can say, give them to us because Jesus is building his church and Jesus loves children. He says, let them come to him. Now, now I want to give you, I'm going to read one last verse or passage, but before I do, just give you this, that, that how, do, how, do we deal, how do we deal with the process of people? And I think about Jesus, he had his disciples, and here's an here's a incredible picture. A friend of mine posted on Facebook not too long ago, um, I don't know, a month or two ago, and he said, you know, you should just, churches should just hit people up right away and let them know because Jesus doesn't mess with people. And then I think about Judas, and I comment, I just nicely, I said, what about Judas? What about Judas? Because he hung out with Jesus, and Jesus knew who he was. He wasn't fooled by him. He knew who he was. And yet Jesus let him hang out because he could have confronted him and said, get out of here. He, he could have pushed. And some folks would say, well, you know, Judas was born that way. He was always going to be that way. That's a, what his destiny. And I'm like, well, eh. I know that I'm crossing into some theological territory right now, but I would just say, I don't buy that. I don't buy that God would create someone on this planet and they were doomed forever and they never had a choice in who they would become or what they would be. I can't buy that. That sounds more like Satan would do that, create somebody with no option to ever experience life in him and that would be destined to, to spend eternity in a godless place. That sounds more like Satan would want to do that. Now, Judas, I believe he had a choice. You say, but who would have betrayed Jesus? Well, there's some other joker that would have did it. But, but, but Judas... Jesus allowed him because Judas got to hear the messages, the teaching. He got to see the miracles. He got to be in those times. In fact, one of the places it says that, that Jesus ate with, one of the prophecies was that, that the betrayer, that Jesus would eat with him like a friend. Judas was there, and why did he allow him? Well, maybe there was a hope that Judas would hear something, that he'd get over his love of money because it looks like that's what he had, that his love of his own agenda and that he would come to, by, by the way, I don't think anybody else struggles with that here, but love of our own agenda, but, but he would get over that, and he would experience Jesus and new life. And, and, and I think about how that, uh, to me, Peter and Judas, well, they're not too awfully different. Peter did something different than what Judas did. Peter repented. In fact, it sounds like when I read in the Gospels that Jesus locked eyes with Peter as Peter was denying him. But Peter repented. Peter repented. And I'm just saying this, that Judas, Jesus would welcome him through the door that he might hear the truth. I'm talking, I'm talking about a, uh, using Judas as a, as a metaphor that he would welcome him. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 through 23. Wrapping up with this. For though I am free, the words of the Apostle Paul, though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew that I might win the Jews. And to those who are under the law as under the law that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all men, that by all means I might save that, uh, some. Now this I do, I love what Paul says, this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be a partaker of it with you. And Paul's saying, 
I want people to see Jesus. I want to hear the good news. And I'll go through some difficult places, and I'll make myself, um, uh, you know, I'll, t- I'll talk about NASCAR races to a guy that likes NASCAR, and I'll try to talk about, I don't know, ballet to somebody that likes ballet. I don't know. I wouldn't do very good because I'm on that masculinity scale way over there, but I'm just saying. Stand with me real quickly. We're going to pray. And, uh, and just give you this this morning, that if, if you're here and you say, hey, Pastor, um, I am in that place of, of just, um, I've not crossed the line of faith yet. I've not made that step yet. And I've been processing it. Or maybe you say, hey, I've got some, I got some hang-ups and some stuff in my life. I got some stuff that, that I know that's holding me from becoming what I need to be in Jesus. And I can't seem to work through it. I'm just saying that today, somebody shout today. Today you can experience freedom and walk out of here different. And today you can make the first step toward a journey that, that, that is a 180 from where you're going. And you can experience life and peace in Christ today. I don't care where you're from. I don't care what your story is. I don't care, I don't care what kind of baggage you might have or, or what you've dealt with in life. I'm just, you haven't created this, you haven't committed this sin great enough that God can't intervene in your situation. You may, see, you may say, well, you don't know how hopeless and how overwhelming what I'm doing. I don't, but I know that he does. And he is the answer. He is the answer. And maybe you're here today and you say, hey, I've got a little callous and a little cynical with people. And, and, I, and I, maybe, maybe you say, hey, I've made some assumptions about people and I've, I've taken a few steps and, and I've, I've been closing the door and I need, to, I need the Lord to help me to open that. Maybe it's in your personal life. Maybe it's in your view of, of, of ministry, wherever that's at. I just know this, God can and will help you today.